you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Jonah. Jonah, uh, it'll be found in your bulletin, but also on the screen behind me. But it's towards the back of your Bible, towards the back of your Old Testament, I should say. And we're going to be looking at the book of Jonah for the month of of February. We're not there yet, are we? Uh, For the month of January. And then in February through the summer, we will be looking at the book of Galatians. And so the question then is, well, why Jonah? Why not just jump right into uh, the book of Galatians and forget about it? Well, simply put, it's because Jonah is about the mission of God. And if you look throughout church history, you'll see churches, particularly churches where God's at work and things tend to be going well, you see a tendency for churches to get complacent and to miss the main thing. To get complacent and to turn inward and to stop proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And remember, it's not about us, it's about them. It's about the lost world. There's a tendency for churches, if you look out throughout church history, to become obsessed with secondary things and forget the mission of God. And the mission of God is to save sinners. And so this morning, or this month of January, we're going to look at the book of Jonah, and we're going to recalibrate our hearts at the beginning of 2018. And we need to have our hearts recalibrated often, because just like it's unnatural for us to give uh, sacrificially, it's also unnatural for us uh, to uh, be outward focused. What's natural is for us to be ingrown and to be inward, and so we need to recalibrate our hearts, don't we? And to align our passions, with God's passion for the nations. See, we want to make God's heart our heart heart at Faith Church. By the grace of God, we will see that happen this month as we study the book of Jonah. So follow along with me as I read Jonah chapter 1. This is God's word. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish. How many times are we going to say that? (laughs) That's hard for me to say, by the way. Away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break apart. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was on the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we might not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. And so they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? Where is your country? And what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, 
And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And he said to them, Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea might quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for you. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. This is God's word. Let me pray and ask God to come and help us this morning through his spirit. Let's pray together. Father, uh, as we think about your word, we're reminded uh, that we can't understand this and we can't apply it unless your spirit comes and helps us. And so would you come and take your word um, that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and would you take it and pierce our hearts and souls with it? Would you teach us and correct us and train us in all righteousness? And would you show us through this passage the beauty of our Savior Jesus? It's in his name we pray. Amen. First thing, as we look at this passage, let's talk about who Jonah is. And what's interesting, as we think about Jonah, uh, there are very little details about his personal life. You can see here in the very first verse, very little is said by way of introduction about him. It's very simple and straightforward and brief. But if you look at verse 1, we see that he's the son of Amittai. We also know uh, from looking at 2 Kings and uh, chapter 14, verse 23, that Jonah was a prophet. A prophet was someone who spoke God's word, and a true prophet, when they spoke God's word uh, and sent warnings to the people, those things came true. If they did not come true, you were a false prophet. Jonah uh, was a legit, real, successful prophet, the son of Amittai. He was a real person in real history. And when we look at 2 Kings verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 23, um, Jonah was, a, was successful. Uh, He was used mightily, when we look at that passage, by the Lord. He was called by God. He's one of the only minor prophets that Jesus names in the New Testament. And commentators say that the reason why there's so little written about Jonah is because everyone, the original audience, would have known who he was. He would have been well known. What's the point? Well, the point is this. This is a big deal, and here's, here's why. Jonah should have known better. Something happened in Jonah's life. Because the Jonah that we encounter here, he's no longer the man that he once was. And he's obviously, if you listened as I was reading the passage, he's not in a good place at all. And so what happened to Jonah? Well, let's look at this passage and see if we can find out what happened 
to Jonah. This morning, we're going to look at three questions from this text. What Jonah does. Secondly, why Jonah runs. And thirdly, how God responds. What Jonah does, why Jonah runs, and how God responds. Let's look at number one, what Jonah does. Look at verse one. You see this phrase, the word of the Lord. What does that mean? Well, we could say a lot about that phrase, but let me try to unpack it a little bit. God's word, the word of the Lord, is a word of authority. Think about it as we look in in the whole uh, Bible, you see that the word of the Lord uh, is a word that creates the heavens and the earth. Genesis chapter 1, we see that the word of the Lord not only creates, but it also sustains the universe. God sustains us right now through the power of his word. We get to the New Testament, John chapter 1, the word becomes flesh in the person of Jesus, which means that we are rescued through the word of God. The word of God stands outside of us. It's something, just like here with Jonah, that comes to us. It comes to you. And it comes to us every single week through the preaching of the Word. We open up this book, and it's not got good advice. It's not New Year's resolutions. Here's some things you need to work on. This is God speaking to you. God's Word is not advice. Advice is New Year's resolutions. Work out a few more times every week. Get more rest. Take a vacation. That's advice. And you can choose whether you want to follow or take that advice or not. God's word is something that is true whether or not you believe it. And you have to respond to it. God's word, the word of the Lord, comes to you. And you are to change your life accordingly. Look at verse 2. The word of the Lord, this word of authority, comes to Jonah... And he's commanded, arise, go and preach the gospel to the Ninevites. Okay, and as we're reading through this, here's what we expect, because this is what prophets do. This is prophets, when they hear God telling them to do something, just read all the prophets in the Bible, what do they do? They say, okay, God, I hear you. And they get up and they go. They follow God and they listen to him, not Jonah. Instead, we see that Jonah got up and ran the other way. He went down to Joppa, and I love the Jesus Storybook Bible here. Jonah went to Joppa and purchased a one-way ticket to not Nineveh, please. You see, Tarshish was in the complete opposite direction of Nineveh. It's like God calling you to go to the West Coast and you get on a plane. Let's say East Coast because it's closer. Go to the East Coast and you get on a plane and you go to the West Coast. That's what Jonah's doing. And here's what's interesting. When you look at Tarshish, it's mentioned in Isaiah 66 verse 19. And here's what's said about Tarshish. It's a place where they have not heard of the fame of God a place that has not seen the glory of God. So do you see the picture? You see where Jonah is fleeing. Jonah wants to go to a place where no Christians can be found. Jonah wants to go to a place where he doesn't have to hear about God or hear from God. Let me pause the tape. 
We could stop here and spend a whole sermon right now on this because I want you to think about this with me for a second. If the cold weather's not been waking you up, this should wake us all up and this should bring us out of our stupor because this is a warning to us this morning. Jonah was a pastor. It's a warning to me. It's a warning to you. Jonah was a prophet. And here we see him wanting nothing whatsoever to do with God. That's sobering. Let's move on. So what did Jonah do? What's he doing in this passage? He's not listening. He's hardened towards God's word. The word of the Lord comes to him. And Jonah runs the other way. And did you notice in the passage all the downward language? It's very intentional because it's tracking the downward descent of Jonah's life as a result of not listening to God and hearing his word. Look at verse 3. He went down to Joppa. Could have just said he went to Joppa. He went down to Joppa. Verse 5. He went down again in order to find sleep. And that sleep is a picture, a spiritual picture of Jonah who is sleepy spiritually. So sleepy that even the pagan sailors care more about people. Did you catch that? More about the people perishing than the Hebrew prophet. What's the point? Well, the point is that it's always a downward movement. It's always a downward movement in your life when you reject and rebel against God's word. It's all through the Bible. When people move away from God's word, it always dehumanizes them. Verse 9. Did you notice the sailors ask Jonah, Jonah, who are you? And he says, look at his answer. Don't miss this. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. That is almost humorous. Why is that humorous? Because think about that statement. If that's the God that he worships, How in the world does he think he can run from him, particularly on the sea? You see it? Jonah's the Bible answer man. He's got all the theology right. But his heart is far from God. His life is far from God. He's saying one thing with his mouth, but he's living another. This morning, the word comes to you. Comes to you by the grace of God every week. And the question is, are you listening? The question for all of us this morning, or have you been going to church so long that you have actually trained yourself to endure sermons rather than really listen to them? And do what God is calling you to do. See, when we think about the Bible, when you think about the Bible, is it living and active to you? uh, Or is it a dusty old book? Or is it God actually speaking to you? Friends, if it's a dusty old book, ancient to you, and it's not living and active to you, then you're in danger this morning. Are you someone who's got all the theology right about God? Are you the Bible answer man or woman in your small group, but yet a picture of your life is a picture of someone running like Jonah as far away from God as you can possibly get? 
Secondly, why Jonah runs? So we've looked at what Jonah does, and he refuses to listen and ignores God's word. Secondly, why does Jonah run? Look at verse 2, and we see that God calls Jonah to Nineveh, the great city. And he calls him to preach against it. And you see, in the Bible, Nineveh is a symbol that represents the forces of evil against God's people. It was the military capital of Assyria. And it was known for violence and horrific evil. And if you wanted to compare it to something today to give you a picture of what it would be like to God to call you to Nineveh, think of the worst and most horrific terrorist organization that you can possibly think of. That's ISIS. That's what Jonah is being called to. God is saying, I want you to go, no, 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 not to my people. That's what prophets normally do. They go to God's people and they call them back. I want you to go there. I want you to go to Afghanistan. And I want you to go right into the heart of ISIS. And I want you to tell them how much I love them. You see, the call is difficult and it's sudden and it has little explanation. But here's the question I want to ask. Why does Jonah refuse to go? Why doesn't he want to go to Nineveh? Why does he take a one-way ticket to not Nineveh, please? Well, you know what? He probably is afraid, and it's dangerous to be sure, but that's not the reason we see in the text. It's not because it was dangerous and he was afraid. That's not why he doesn't want to go. How do we know? Well, go to the end of the book of Jonah. If you have your Bible, look at Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. Jonah chapter, we'll talk about this in a few weeks, but I want you to listen to this. How clear this is. Jonah was angry, and he prayed, Oh Lord, this is why I ran. This is why I made haste to Tarshish, because I knew what you were like. I knew you would be gracious to them. I knew you would have mercy. I knew you would be gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And so why doesn't Jonah want to go? Because he's disappointed with God. He's disappointed because he knew God was abounding in mercy and love. He's disappointed because God wants to save those people. And he doesn't like it. Because you see, Jonah wants grace just for him. And he wants judgment for everyone else, particularly the wicked sinners that he hates being the Ninevites. And God in this passage and through the book of Jonah is saying, my grace is not just for you, but my grace is for the nations, for every tribe and every nation and every tongue. And again, Jonah probably fully expects God to do what he normally does with the prophets and says, go to my own people and bring them back to me. And Jonah's probably thinking, I could have done that all day long. Why aren't you telling me to do that, God? Well, because God is putting his finger on something in Jonah's life and he's calling him to a Gentile nation, to people that he hated, to reveal how little Jonah really loves people. He puts his finger right in the middle of Jonah's idol. And he says, I want to show you how racist you really are. I want to show you that you're an elitist. And you don't love people 
the way I love people. I want to show you your pride. I want to show you, Jonah, how religion, your religion, has actually blinded you. I want to show you how you hoard the gospel. And I've called you to go and share the gospel. Do you see it? You see what Jonah has forgotten, don't you? Jonah has forgotten how merciful, how gracious, and how loving that God has been with him. What about you this morning? Have you forgotten how merciful God has been with you? That while you were still sinners, Christ died. So who's your Nineveh this morning? Who are the people in your life or in your community or around you that you despise? And yes, we might not ever say we despise anyone out loud because we're in the South and we're, we, it's too sophisticated for that. But in your heart, who are the people that you despise? Let me put it more specifically. Who are the people that if this church were to be filled up with them in the next year would make you perhaps angry? inside would make you uncomfortable or would bother you if you were really honest in your heart of hearts who is that for you and God says arise go and love them and tell them how much I love them that's the mission of God That's what God is calling us to. Because that's what God came into the world to do, to seek and to save the lost. And may God's heart always be our heart at Faith Presbyterian Church. Thirdly, so how does God respond? Well, how do you expect God to respond? If you're reading the narrative, think about how you would respond if you were being disrespected in this way. Uh, We expect God to turn and say, "Ah, next man up, next prophet up, I'm done with Jonah. You don't treat me that way. That's not what God does because that's not who God is. God's response is an all-out, full-court press in pursuit of Jonah because that is who he is and that's who he's been since beginning at the beginning of time. Go think about Genesis chapter 3. In the garden, Adam and Eve, God's creation, rebel against him. They disobey him. They disregard his word just like Jonah does. And you remember what they do? They run and hide from God. And you expect God to make them come to him and make them come back perhaps crawling on their hands and knees saying God you know please look at what we've done but you know what God does he doesn't make them come to him God actually goes looking for him that's the amazing thing about the garden God goes and pursues them and that's what he does here Jonah is another story where God is pursuing his rebellious people who want nothing to do with them. Jonah is running, and God is pursuing. And did you notice he's pursuing everybody in this passage? He's pursuing Nineveh. He's pursuing the sailors. Did you notice in verse 14, they're not on, they're, they stopped crying out to the... Did you pick up on that? They're not crying out to their own gods, lowercase g. They start crawl, crying out to 
all caps in your Bible, the Lord. They start crying out to Yahweh, and so God's pursuing them. He's pursuing Jonah, and he's pursuing you this morning as you sit here. The rest of this passage, you look and you see that Jonah's plans didn't quite work out the way that he thought they would. Jonah had resigned, or at least wanted to resign his office office as a prophet, but God refused to accept his resignation. Verse 4. But the Lord hurled a storm at him. Who hurled the storm? Who sent the storm? God sent the storm, and it was a ferocious storm because the sailors who did this every single day were scared for their lives. And it says that the ship was breaking, was threatened to, uh, to break apart. And one commentator I love says the ship was a nervous wreck. They were frightened. They go down, they start praying to their gods, they start throwing cargo overboard And eventually, you see, they throw Jonah overboard. Why is God sending the storm? Because God wants to save people. God's heart is so big for the nations that he won't let anyone stand in the way of him pursuing the nations. Him pursuing all types of people. And I don't know about you, but I think that's really good news. Is it hard news? Absolutely it's hard news. Because it's good news because God will pursue you. And He will do anything in order to draw you back to Him, even if it hurts. God loves you so much that He wants all of your heart, not just some of your heart. And so He's willing to do anything. He's willing to shatter your idols into a million pieces, if that means Him having your whole heart. We're going to see next week he'll even send a fish. It might mean that, again, that he has to throw you overboard. It might mean that he sends a storm into your life. It might mean an illness or a crushing job setback or a breakup that breaks your heart. Or it might mean a broken relationship. Are you being found out in the midst of your sin? It might look like you're wrecking your life, but through those things, we see it here and everywhere, God is pursuing you. You see, we run to places like Tarshish, places like we think will make us happy, to gods of food and sex and drugs and grades and religion, and God keeps pursuing us and hunting us down like the hound of heaven. I'll never forget September 11th. If you were alive during that time, you won't either. It's one of those events in history where you know exactly where you were and what time and the circumstances surrounding that day. I was in Richard Pratt's theology class in RTS Orlando, and we were watching it on the television. A couple of years ago, I took some students from RUF to New York City. We were doing a missions trip, and we had a day off and we went to the 9-11 Museum, and if you have been, have been you know it's, it's very well done, and if you haven't been, you should go. Very sobering uh, to walk through that museum, and a lot of what you see is things that none of us have ever seen. It, there's pictures that people took that you know, have never been published. There's cell phone video footage and all sorts of things that were never uh, aired on national television. 
And what you'll see, and, and this is an image that's stuck with me, is you see, and you remember this if you've seen some of the footage, everyone is running the complete, uh, they're running away from the building, away from the ruin. Why? That's, they should be because they're going to die. But if you look at this footage and look at these pictures, there's another group that's actually running to the ruin in the opposite direction. You remember who that was? Firefighters and the police officers. You see, the natural tendency of human beings is when we encounter ruin, it's to turn and run the other way. But the firefighters and the police officers said, let's go move towards it to rescue it. That's what God does. That's what God does. God doesn't move away from the ruin. He runs to the ruin, and he pursues ruined sinners like Jonah and like us. And some of you don't believe that this morning. Some of you come here carrying very heavy burdens and you think, for sure God is going to turn away from my sin. You think that when God sees that your lack of love for people and the racism that exists inside your heart and the elitism and the apathy and the rebellion and the running, you think for sure God's going to turn away. You think God will hide his face when he sees the mess that you've made of your life and your family. Friends, that is not the gospel. God does not turn away. But God draws near. So often people outside the church, they hear a message of, if you're a sinner, then you don't belong in this place. That's not the gospel. The gospel That's why we're here, because we are sinners. And we need a good word from God. And we need to be rescued. You see, the gospel says that God draws near to sinners like Jonah with grace and compassion. But here it is. And he not only draws near to them, he uses them. And that's what we're going to see as we go through this book. Jonah is not the story of a man who God used because he was good. But it's a story of a man, a pastor, a prophet... It was used despite his rebellion and despite his sin and unbelief because of the grace of God in his life. So then the question becomes, how can God do this? How can God move near, draw near instead of away because he's a holy God? Well, he can do it because God drew the wrath that sinners deserve. Commentators make the observation that this story is told in, the, in an identical fashion Uh, in an identical way to the story in Mark chapter 4 where Jesus calms the storm. Think about it. Both Jesus and Jonah are in a boat. We also see there that in both cases in Mark 4 and in this case the storm is over, uh, the storm comes and overtakes the boat and the descriptions of the storm is almost identical. In both cases Jonah is asleep and remember Jesus is asleep. And in both cases, the sailors go and they wake them up and say, we're going to die, do something. And in both situations and in both stories, there's a miracle that happens and there's divine intervention and the storm is calmed. And in both stories, the sailors are more afraid after the storm is calmed than they were in the midst of the storm. There's one difference, though. Remember, Jonah goes to the sailors and says, this is me. Throw me overboard. I will perish and you will live. 
And that's exactly what they do. Think about the story. They throw Jonah overboard into the stormy sea. And that doesn't happen in Mark chapter 4. Or does it? See, if we were to continue to read the gospel of Mark and all the gospels for that matter, it does happen. See, it's not the disciples that were eventually thrown overboard. It was Jesus who was eventually thrown overboard. Remember, Jesus voluntarily goes to the cross and he throws himself into the most violent storm the world has ever known. He threw himself headlong into the ultimate storm, the ultimate storm of sin and death and justice. And as Jesus is hanging on the cross, you see, he perishes and you live. He dies so that you might live and have life abundantly. And so this morning, here's my call. Will you come and draw near to Jesus this morning? Come and draw near to Jesus in the midst of your shame and your running and your guilt and your doubt and your anger and your frustration and your sorrow. Draw near to Jesus because Jesus, you see, is the only one that can melt a heart of stone. He's the only one that can melt our co-Jonah-like hearts. He's the only one that can turn our hearts back to him. Jesus is the only one that can make our hearts like God's heart. Let's pray. Father, would you forgive us this morning? Forgive us for running. Forgive us for not listening. Lord, would you come and would you melt our hearts with the good news of the gospel that in the midst of our running, you're pursuing. And you will stop at nothing, not even the death, of your own son in order to be with us. Melt our hearts so that we might live differently. Make your heart our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.